be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, it's good to see everybody this morning. If you're here in person, uh, then welcome. Uh, I love to see your faces. And if you're with us online, uh, then welcome as well. And I can't see you. So if you're listening, uh, just give us a little word of comment on the Facebook page. Write your name where you're listening to. Uh, from, we'd love to get connected with you. And so my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. Uh, If you don't know that, uh, then uh, welcome. And it's good to be here. So uh, we're moving into a new series, uh, Doors of the Bible. And um, it started with um, us picking up a little pamphlet from the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. If you've never been there, it's really cool. Um, I'd highly recommend it. And so um, Christy had pulled out one of those uh, little pamphlets that we had gotten there, and she gave it to me. And I just started thinking and praying about that. And I was like, you know, there are a lot of doors in the Bible. There's uh, real physical doors, and there's some figurative doors, too, that are used throughout the Scriptures, uh, just to kind of illustrate some important things for us and uh, point us in the right direction. And so I thought, well, what if we did that? What if we went from the beginning of the Bible to the end, and we just looked at the doors, the doors that are in the Bible, okay? So that's what I wanted to do today. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn it to Genesis chapter 6. We'll be in Genesis 6 through uh, 9, verse 1. Um, so kind of just taking a big picture look at what's going on, what happened during the flood story, um, the, the door that was placed in the side of the ark, and what was the purpose for that, and what do we get out of that today? Um, so if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack or the chair rack in front of you, and you can pull that out and uh, follow along with us. Genesis, right at the beginning. Uh, And so there's always this little phrase to remember that I I normally add on here. It's kind of just a tag, uh, just to help us remember uh, what the text is about. You're not going to remember Genesis 6 through 9 by uh, by heart, if I had to imagine. Uh, But you might remember a few phrases. So this is the phrase that I kept coming back to, starting over. Um, Sometimes in our lives, especially around this time of the year, there's a New Year's resolution, and we want to start something new, we want to take something away. By the way, if you, if you have a New Year's resolution, starting something positive is much more effective than taking something negative away. I read that this week. So if, you, if you're going to start a New Year's resolution, just start something new and positive. You'll be more effective at it. Uh, and so we, we think about a lot of those things um, around this time of the year, starting over, starting something new. And when we look throughout the scriptures, we see that this first door really kind of shows us a really important time in history, in, in, uh, really in the world and what God did. And so we're going to see like God's judgment, but we're also going to see his uh, restoration, how he preserved man and how he brings us to this point today. And the good news is that just like on a piece of wood, a boat, God saved mankind, he can save all of us through another piece of wood and what Jesus did on the cross. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, but first I wanted to... Uh, Play a little game. Is that okay? We can have fun at church, right? <laughs> we'll play a little game to start off with. And so there's a lot of doors. Um, they say a lot about you know who we are, maybe the entrance to our home. Is the door taken care of? Does it have a storm door on it? And um, so uh, <clears throat> I pull up a few doors online, hopefully notable. Maybe um, you might get a kick out of this, maybe not, and I'll never do it again, but <laughs> we'll try it. Uh, so uh, I want to put up a series of doors. So it should be on the slides. Um, we'll put up a first door there. Yeah, yeah. So that's a cool door. It's really nice looking, maybe kind of modern. Um, I'll give you some hints, and you may already see some in the picture, and then uh, feel free to uh, shout it out if you know what it is. So um, this is a a famous door, uh, really over, I would say, um, I don't know, the last probably 50 or 60 years, and um, this door you can only unlock from the inside. Uh, this door was designed in a particular way to protect an important political figure in London. Anybody know? 
Oh, yeah, okay, I heard it, the Prime Minister's house. I was going to give you some more hints. Uh, 10 Downing Street is the address. So <laughs> it's the Prime Minister's address. I actually didn't know that when I first started doing this stuff. So uh, the next one, um, this is a cool one. Uh, it's in uh, Florence, uh, put together in 1452, constructed from bronze with gold overlay. It's a piece from the Renaissance which features 10 sculpted panels uh, the reference is to scenes from the Old Testament. Kristen knows it. Sure, yeah. Close. It's the bat. Oh, you. Yeah, yeah. Baptistry. Yeah, Christian's like, I got it, it's somewhere, the art stuff. So the ba- Baptistry of San Giovanni. So, uh, yeah, yeah, doors say a lot, right? Whatever entrance you're going into. This is one I kind of like, it's a lot older. Um, you go and throw that one up there. Uh, constructed in 1800, maybe kind of hard to see. Well, you can see part of it. It's actually got a, like a, a wood frame to it. Um, it's in Borgund, Norway. Norway. It's actually a church. You may know the name of it. Um, this kind of came around the time of like, you know, Vikings constructing ships and things like that. And so there's a lot of Christian and Viking themes. There's dragons on it too, which is cool. Um, yeah, so it's in Borgen, Norway. If you don't know what church it is, I'll tell you. It's, um, it's the Stave Church. So people come from all around to Norway to actually just look at this doorway in all of its magnificence. So if you ever go there, then go take a look at it. Um, my guess is that the next door, probably people guess pretty easily, pretty quickly. Yeah. 405. Anybody know that address? Close. Chrysler Building. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's actually it's almost 100 years old. I, I didn't realize that. So when I was looking at this, I was like, oh, yeah, 1930s construction, New York City, the Chrysler Building, right? That's cool. I thought it was like, that's modern. No, it's just been a long time, right? So they're bringing, they're bringing stuff like that back, right? Uh, uh, next one, next one. So, um, <clears throat> Artist Giovanni in Bartolomeo, uh, Bond's entrance. It uh, uh, features marble statues. It's actually a place where people would meet uh, to, in Venice to talk about important political things. Oh, yeah, Kristen's like, she's got the artwork and stuff. She's going, so... I don't know if I'm saying this right. Maybe wants to get say it out loud. They can the uh, Dogs Palace, yeah. So that's that's cool, right? People, there very important things happen, right? Now these important structures, maybe people uh, made important decisions or they talked about important things. That's normally where these kind of like really super high quality or and ornate doors are. All right, next one, next one. Uh, all right, yeah. So this is cool. Um, where's this one at? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Cordoba, wherever that is. Go ahead, Cordoba. This is actually really similar. If you go to Mexico and you see like kind of like old cathedrals, uh, it's a similar time period uh, of the construction of those. 1337 is when it was um, put together. This whole structure. Uh, it's it's a, the Mas Cathedral of Cordoba. So um, important in religious history for sure. Now here's another one. This is, belongs to a king, so uh, maybe that tells you where it is. Uh, it's in Morocco. 
It's actually the Palace Royale. And uh, it's the, the King of Morocco's residence. I know you were like, yeah, I knew exactly where that was. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, next one. So I really like this one uh, also. Uh, this door, Keebler. He said, no. <laughs> you leave it to Bruce. All right. Oh, actually, yeah. So um, the this it's actually a church. So it's a church that was uh, it's been featured in a lot of areas, but it's said to have um, inspired J.R.R. Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring, The Doors of Durin. But <clears throat> it was actually constructed in the 1200s, and it's it, where is it? It's Saint Edward's Church in Gloucestershire. I sure I messed that up. Gloucestershire, England. So, yeah, St. Edward's Church, really cool, like doorway, you know, you got trees in between it. Um, all right, so we got a few more. Um, you might know this one. It's a special door. They only open every 25 years. They have another door, I hope, <laughs> but they only open this one every 25 years. Um, it's, uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, let's see. Oh, it's in Vatican City. So, I'll give you a hint there. Um, so, this particular door is at a church there, St. Peter's Basilica. It's only opened every 25 years. So in 2000, it was open, year of Jubilee. And I guess in a couple years, they're going to open it again. And um, I don't know what they have in there, but uh, it's an important door. They open only open every so often, all right? And here's the last one. Probably know this one, or we should. We're Americans. <laughs> we, sh- we should hopefully know this one. If you don't, don't worry. Uh, so this door is it was a uh, construction uh, put together in uh, 1910 it was commissioned put together it's impressive because it weighs 20,000 pounds I would not want a 20,000 pound door I, just, <laughs> I wouldn't want to have to open that every day as I go uh, in and out uh, features the life of uh, Christopher Columbus is that a hint anybody know it's in Washington D.C. nobody all right we're learning history today. That's good. that's good too. All right. So everybody's like, "I oh man, this is bad." Uh, it's the U.S. Capitol building. Uh, U.S. Capitol building. All right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So you can bring back up the lights. Go to the next slide. So <clears throat> like, why? You're like, some of you'll be like, "Why didn't I know that door?" Others are like, "You know what? I don't care. I don't. <laughs> I don't know heart." Right. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of doors in our lives, right? Some people will say, well, you know, that door got closed, right? And then, but another door got open. Sometimes when we're, you know, like we're operating in life and like we're, we're praying about things and we don't understand sometimes like why a job opportunity doesn't happen or, or why like something happens to somebody we love and like a doorway gets closed to maybe an opportunity and we're like, God, what's going on? And then years down the road, we're like, oh, it's because this door got opened. And so as we go through that, I, this, I just want us to think about that. What are the implications? What, what, what's the importance of a door being opened or closed? And, and how has God used doors in the past? And so Genesis, authored by Moses, so God gives the Torah, the books of the law, to Moses. Um, this happens on Mount Sinai, and he writes it to the Hebrew people. And there's a point in history, there's a time, a man makes many mistakes throughout history from the beginning. What did God say to Adam and Eve? Hey, uh, you can you know, take of anything else, just don't take of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And they took that fruit, and he's like, okay, here's some consequences. You're going to get kicked out of the garden. There's going to be strife in marriage. There's going to be difficulty in life. You're going to have to uh, work the ground. There's going to be pain in childbirth. I don't know who got the worst end of that deal, probably the ladies. Uh, but, but there's going to be pain in childbirth. And then and, and what happens, man continues to go, hey, I think I know what's better. 
And in a corrupt heart, what the Scripture will tell us today is that he continually makes bad decisions. And what does God keep doing? Uh, Some people, when they read this account, they're like, man, God was upset that day. Like, what was the deal? Well, God doesn't change, right? All throughout history, he's the same. And he not only judged with water in the beginning, but he's going to judge in the end of all things. You guys, you remember that picture in Revelation? He's like riding on a white horse and he's got a sword in his hand. We sometimes forget that, that God doesn't change, right? That he doesn't, Jesus doesn't show up on the scene and he's like sitting with the little kids. You know, and, he's, and the disciples are like, go away, little kids. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let the children sit with me. And this is what I, you know, what I came here. If, you, if anybody doesn't believe, like a child, then, then they're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And so what we have to do is kind of come back to this place where if we're going to look at all the doors of the Bible and understand that God's got this perfect plan, that he's sovereign over everything, and he knows what's going on, right? And sometimes we, we, we think about these doors in our lives, and we're like, why did this happen? Or why did it not happen that way? Or, or how could God allow this? Well, God's working in the midst of all this, and he's got this perfect plan. So I, I want that to be kind of the o- overarching theme for us. And so here's the first fill in the blank. If you like to write things down, here it is. God judges. God judges. Now, you may not have known that, or when you read certain accounts in the Bible, you're like, that makes me uncomfortable. Um, We'll go through that, and we'll just talk about it today, okay? So God judges. This is the reality of the situation. And he takes sin seriously, and this is why he judges. So in uh, verse 5, verse 5 through 8, it says, "...the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart." So the Lord said, I will blot out all men whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I think the reason we're so uncomfortable with judgment, like in history and in God's word, we kind of, we're like, you know what, if that wasn't in there or if that didn't really happen, I'd be okay with it because it makes me uncomfortable. Well, why, why does it make us uncomfortable? Because when we're confronted with this picture of judgment, it brings this painful awareness of our own sin, of our own difficulty, of maybe even making bad choices. And, and the truth is that even though everybody in the room has the opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus and be saved and, and be with him in heaven forever, there's still consequences from even the things that we do here in this life. It's not that we don't get eternity in heaven with God. We do, but we still have to deal with consequences, right? We're all responsible for our own actions and so this is where this comes to a head. God judges, and it says here in verse 6, how did God feel about the situation? Um, it says here that he regretted. And that's one of the, to me, it seems like it's one of the saddest places in the Bible because everybody else in the world except for Noah, what are they doing? The Scripture is going to show us that they, they were acting corruptly. They were just doing the wrong thing continually. That was the only thing that they knew how to do. And sometimes when we read this, we kind of read like our own understanding into it too. We'll, we'll go like, well... Um, you know, uh, God, he, 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 if like he, I can't believe he would do that. I don't understand why he would do that. Well, what do we do when we do that? We read our own kind of temporary understanding into it. We go, well, that kind of makes me sad. But, but in the heart of God, who is the only perfect judge, like we're not, right? The scripture tells us over and over again, hey, we're not here to judge everybody here on the earth right now, right? We're just here to tell people about the good news, about this gospel message that God has given us. But God's the only right judge. And we see judgment in the scriptures on a mass scale like this, we see that God's the only one that gets to do that, right? God in heaven, seated, enthroned. He's the only right judge. And this isn't here to say like, you know, God's like, man, I just wish I didn't make mankind at all. No, he, he knew making man and giving him free will that Adam and Eve would fall in the garden. 
and then man would choose to be only corrupt except for Noah. And he said, okay, we're going to start over again. And just uh, over and over again, you see throughout the scripture that man keeps deciding, hey, I think I know what's better. And what's hap- what happens? It always goes badly. And so this is why we always encourage you. Like we, we need to lean into the Lord, not further away from him. And so in verses 8 and 9, I liked what uh, Christostom said. He was a church father. He said, Noah had a single purpose, that is, to be praised by the eye that never sleeps or rests. He had no care for human glory. This is what we get so wrapped up and so confused. And, and I love this week, you know, it's like we watch what happened when the football game. It's like, whoa, you know, that just kind of stops you in your tracks. It's like a young man who just falls over. And then it's like nine, ten, however many minutes. Like they're doing CPR, what's going on? And sometimes we go like, I, I don't really understand, you know, what's going on, God. And for Noah, he, he trusted the plan. He, did, he didn't waver. He saw all the other things that were going on in the world. And he wasn't concerned about pleasing somebody else. And I, I love what um, Andy shared. There's been so many people like um, secular sources, whether it be media or individuals, who have just said, we're, we're praying. And uh, I'm like, you don't really hear that very often. To have a guy like that get up and say, and say you know what, we're going to pray right now. Like, um, it shocked me, honestly. I, sh- I should have been surprised because, you know, anything can happen. God's people, if they uh, stand up and do the right thing, then sometimes miraculous things can happen. And I think that's what we've seen here. So like that, there's other people standing up. And so it wasn't just, it's not just Noah. Now other people are going, you know, I, th- I think when something bad happens, like, we should really pray. I think there's somebody who can handle that, and we can't. It's God. I've heard that so much this week. It's just been amazing. So uh, but like Noah... Only he was by himself this time. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see that uh, God's plan to judge, it came with a plan to save, right? So, so God, at no point in history has he gone, I'm just throwing in the towel completely, right? I just forget this. You know, man, he's just going to keep making mistakes. I know what he's going to do in the future because God exists outside of time. Well, what's going to happen? Well, it says this in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, you may know them. It says Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Make for yourselves an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And he goes on to give specific measurements. Um, but when I was reading this, I noticed this phrase, he walked with God. And you look through other places throughout the scripture, there's other people who um, the texts say uh, walked with God, actually other relatives of Noah. And so when it says walk here, it's the word halak in the Hebrew, and it means this way of life that was only about the things of God. I mean, can you imagine like if you only did what God wanted all the time? Right. Man, I would, I would love to do that, right? but, but I make mistakes all the time, and I'm like, I just want to walk like that. Like, I want to walk with God. There was another individual um, named Enoch. So if you look further uh, back in Genesis ch- chapter 5, verse 24, it says that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for he took him, for God took him. So many scholars say he just walked into heaven. Like, he was walking with God, and then, and then it's like, you know, he's like, whoa, whoa, where am I? <laughs> You're in heaven, man. So you won't experience death is what happened for Enoch. And so Enoch was um, Noah's grandfather. Uh, And then you have uh, Lamech, Noah's dad. He died about five years before the flood, so he wasn't around to see all this. And you've got Methuselah, 
You think you're going to get all this history lesson in genealogy, right? It interests me. Hopefully it does you a little bit. And so then you got Methuselah, who was the oldest guy who ever lived, 969 years. And he lived up until the year of the flood. And it says this guy, Enoch, he, Noah came from a good line of people, right? Sometimes people deviate. Sometimes a, a brother, sister, whoever will say, you know what? I forget God. I don't want to do, have anything to do with this anymore. But Noah stayed true to the Lord. He walked with God like, like Enoch did. But what was the world doing? They were being corrupt, right? So this shouldn't surprise us. This word in the Hebrew is shakath. Uh, it just means to be spoiled or ruined. It kind of reminds me of what grandparents do with their kids, right? You ever heard of that? <laughs> grandparents spoil their kids, right? They give them the whatever. Oh, sure, you can have whatever you want. Soda, candy. Well, yeah, we'll take you. Let's go out and get you know, ice cream. And then they send them home. And they're like, you're like, why are you so wired? Like, why are you bouncing off the walls? Oh, because grandma and grandpa spoiled them, right? It's okay, grandma and grandpa, it's you know, what you're there for, right? The spoiling, but unfortunately, on the world scale, when this happens, uh, it's not a good thing, right? They were corrupt. They were completely spoiled. Nobody was coming back. No parent was coming and going like, hey, you guys are not doing the right thing. <laughs> you know, you need to get back on the right track. Everybody was spoiled, and that's all they knew, and it ruined them. So what did God do? Well, he had a plan, uh, a plan that he was going to carry out through Noah, Build a big boat. And by the way, was there any water? Was there any rain? We hadn't seen any of that evidence in the scripture uh, as of yet. And so wait, you want to build a boat in the middle of this place and then you're going to flood the world, right? Can you imagine the ridicule over about 100 years that it took Noah to build this ark? And people are like, no, what, hey, um, that's a weird looking house, man. Well, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing over there? And oh, I'm building the boat. Um, yeah, God said he was going to flood the world. Everybody's been super corrupt. And um, so this is what he told me to do. Can you imagine? I mean, you would be the laughing stock of everybody, right? You'd be crazy. No, God's not going to do that. He doesn't care about what's going on here. But he does. And he did. And so what happened? Well, I like to think about this picture, too, as I read this story. Because if you pick up a children's book and you, like, you go to the, the account of the flood, it's usually like, and God saved Noah and his family and all the animals. And there's a rainbow. End of the story. Right? <laughs> Good news, right? That's the best, you know, bedtime story ever, right? Until you read the whole account, right? And you're like, wait a second. God doesn't mess around. I mean, when it comes to sin, when it comes to his own glory and judgment. And we see this a few places throughout the scripture, but specifically here with water. And the good news is that at the end of the story, God's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again, right? I made my point. And that was part of this. And so um, as I was going through and reading this story, I just kept thinking back to the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a character who, uh, when is asked to describe God, or asked to describe this um, Aslan, the lion character, uh, said, you know, uh, what what is Aslan like? You know, should we be terrified? Is he going, you know, is he, gonna, is he a gentle lion? Is he going to, you know, can we, you know, pet his mane? And is he going to be cool with that? And this is what <clears throat> one character said about Aslan, the lion, who was supposed to be the God figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. He said, Aslan's good, but he's not tame. And so I, I, I always remember that story. I'm like, man, that's, that's so good because sometimes we do. Like we put God in this box and we're like, you know, cute, cuddly, baby Jesus, God. Like, that's the one I like at Christmas. And just, you know, if I could just pull him out to encourage us. And even Jesus, when he doesn't run, tell the children to run away. You know, he's so nice all the time, right? But, but God in his totality, God in, his, uh, in, in all of who he is, he, he has to not be tame, right? He's not your household pet. You know, get away from that. And you run away, scared of you. God's not scared of us, right? 
we should live in reverence of God. That should change the way that we live. And so this was part of the story and, and really where God's trying to point us in this. And so the second fill in the blank is going to be that God preserves, right? So we, we have to deal with the reality that, that God judges. And that's not something that as you like, you, you, you almost never find it, in, again, in a children's like story Bible book because you don't read your kid that story before they go to bed. <laughs> and God flooded the world. And that was the end of all life except for Noah and his family. Sleep good, <laughs> right? So that's not what we do, right? So we read these stories to encourage our kids, right? But at the same time, when we're reading this, we have to understand that God judges rightly. Like, we don't get to go, how dare you, God? You know, because he's a good God, and he's not tame, and he judges rightly, always. And so here's the second part of this. It's, it's good news. It gets better, right? So God preserves. And this is in chapter 7, 16 through 24. Um, this instrument of preservation, right? It's, it was a door that was closed, right? So God said, hey, I'm going to close this door to all of mankind except for Noah and his family, and I'm going to preserve you guys. The rest of the world will perish for its corrupt behavior, for the way that it's been acting. And in a similar way, like on that boat, thousands of years later, God said, hey, Jesus is coming. He's going to die on the cross for your sins. He's going to be raised from the dead three days later so that you could have eternal life. And he uses another piece of wood. And so it says in verse 16 of chapter 7, And those that <clears throat> entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded, and the Lord shut him in. So what does God do? He tells Noah, he, make the ark. By the way, put a door in the side. You're going to need to be able to get into it. But when it came time to seal the deal, it said the Lord shut him in. And God's like, hey, I, I've prepared for this. I'm going to accomplish my purposes. And we'll see what those purposes are. As we keep going, verse 17 said, The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The water increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed from the mount, above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits <clears throat> deep. So God gave Noah a plan, right? And he didn't come up with this plan. He's like, you know, it might work. Like, uh, you know, the boat, it could be big enough. It might not. know it was perfect in exact detail. And, and if you haven't gone to the Ark Encounter again, I, w- I would encourage you to do that. Just the intricacy of seeing like a life-size um, uh, rebuild, restructuring of this is really amazing. Um, just kind of gives you a big picture of that. So that's the inside. But, but what did God do? Because sometimes I think when we read this, we're like, yeah, maybe that didn't happen. I mean, that's scary. Would God really do that? But, but what are we missing here? What was the, the awe and the magnificence that this was, was given to us to, to help produce in our own hearts? Well, number one, that we might see, see God's power displayed, that we might read this and go like, wow, like God is a, I mean, he's not tame. He can do anything that he wants. And it's not that we should be like cowering in the corner being like, God, please don't hurt us. We do something wrong, right? Uh, no, no, we should, be, we should be wanting to pursue God daily, wanting to, uh, wanting to be close to him, not because we're fearful of punishment, but we should also go, man, we should really be in reverence of a God like that. Other people will say, well, you know, that whole flood thing, like that was good and well, but it really didn't happen on quite the scale that, you know, some of you would think it's called this local flood theory. Um, I don't think we see that in the Bible, by the way. And when you see what the Bible describes, it's like over the highest mountains under all the heavens. That language doesn't seem to indicate to me. There's just like little flood and like just a little small area that it happened to. Because what do we do when we say that? When we start to minimize, we start to say, maybe that wasn't in there. Maybe like, I know that's what it said, but that's probably not what it meant. We take away 
from God's story that he's given to us. We take away from like it, the power and like the awe and the amazement that this should inspire in us. The second thing <clears throat> that we can do with this is instead of going like, wow, God preserved Noah and his family and he destroyed the rest of the world with water and the people that were there, but we can miss God's mercy too. Like when we start to minimize, we go like, hey, um, you know, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe it was just like a little small flood and God, wait, he was just a little bit upset about what was going on. <clears throat> no, he judged the whole world. But what do we do? We can miss God's power if we don't take this literally. And then number two, we can miss God's mercy, right? The fact that God just didn't didn't just say, hey, you know what? I'm done. Like, this is the end. It's already been too long. Everybody just keeps doing the wrong thing. But we can miss God's mercy in this too. So I I want us to see that in God preserving Noah and his family, he did something for us too. Like, if he just threw in the towel, he said, I'm done. But any, any of us be here right now, to worship him, to gather in this place, and to know more about him, and to ultimately spend the rest of eternity with him. No, we, we wouldn't, right? So we don't want to minimize God's power on his scale. Remember, he's, he's a good God, but he's not tame. He's capable of anything, and he demonstrates that throughout the scriptures. So this should help us live in reverence, and this should also make us go, God, like, thank you. I mean, thank you for preserving me, that I might be here in this instance, no matter what happens um, in my life, that you have uh, poured out your mercy on me, that you've given me a place with you. And then we come to verse 21. This is where most people turn the TV off, or they just say, like, "Ah, let's read something else. But we're going to read it. Uh, Verse 21, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, the birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed 150 days. It's just difficult, right? And we don't read this text and be like, yay, fun story, you know, not, again, not the child's uh, Bible story that you may read, but the truth is it's in here. And, and, and I wonder why so, many, so much of the time, like, we live our lives like the doors don't matter. Like, when God shut the door of the ark, everybody knew it was business, Right? It was business time. God's not playing around anymore. And so sometimes I feel like we, we kind of view God in our own salvation and this, this uh, sinless life that God lived, that Jesus did for us and died on the cross and then was raised again, like it's just like chump change, you know? Like it's like, that's um, oh, not that big of a deal. I mean, God, he died you know, for our sins, you know, and now I get to do whatever I want. I can live correctly. I can, I can say whatever I want. I can treat people however I want because I'm going to get in. I've got this thing, it's like fire insurance. It's not, right? And if you view it like that, you may not really have it. And, and I know that's hard to, to hear, but when we read this account in the scriptures, we, we have to go like, do we take the whole of God's counsel seriously? Like, like do we go, I, I either believe it all or I don't, right? We can't just take parts of it and go, oh, that part's uncomfortable, right? So we've got to go through this and we read it, we go, God, you're good and we trust you. Now, throughout all of history, throughout all of time, you, we know you're sovereign over all things. You've got a perfect plan. Does it mean things will be easy? No, it doesn't, right? But his plan is perfect. And so God preserves. And here's the third part. God restores. God restores. So he doesn't just leave it at that. There's this plan to continue things, right? And that's why we're here right now. So that's the good news, right? God judges. He preserves. He, he paints this very clear picture of who he is, um, not tame, right? But a God who owns everything, who handles everything. 
Um, and so this is restores, right? So in verses 15 through 19 of chapter 8, we'll look at that. Um, God gives us a part in this restoration, which is the cool part. In verse 15, it says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Uh, bring out with you every living thing that is with you, uh, all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird. Everything that moves on the earth went out, and families from the ark. So God's got this great purpose for us, right? He commissioned Noah. He said, okay, send everybody out. We're going to repopulate the earth. What a great and awesome responsibility. He repeats the language of being fruitful and multiplying. He's going to do that a couple of times. Um, in the book of Genesis, he's going to remind Noah the plan didn't change, right? Here was the initial plan. Grow, subdue the earth, have dominion over it as my people, and taking care of it well. And then here's this right response. So in part of this being a part of restoration for Noah and his family, Noah has to have a response to this. And we'll see that uh, if you look throughout the scripture and the rest of his life, he kind of had a nervous breakdown. You can read that later. Uh, but, but here we see that like his immediate response, and you can imagine, I mean, being the only family guy who walked with the Lord, nobody else did. You might think he might have a little bit of a hard time with that, but his immediate response to this is interesting. It tells us a lot about how we should view God. I mean, how we should view good and bad things that happen, right? That God's got this ultimate plan over. It says in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and uh, offering burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man." For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I've done while the earth remains. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And in verse 1 of chapter 9, this is important, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You can imagine getting off the ark and, and Noah has actually brought along enough of the clean animals, the ones you can offer sacrifices to God, uh, the, the ones that you know Jesus took those places so we don't have to, right? So he was still having to do that in the Old Testament, Old Covenant. So he takes these animals, which I'm sure probably maybe other people in his family were like, hey, there's kind of not a lot of those. Maybe we shouldn't do that. <laughs> but he had dedicated these specific animals. We're going to bring these with us on the ark 150 days and then... We're going to sacrifice them to the Lord. We're going to give an offering. And, and what it says here, that this was pleasing to the Lord, that Noah uh, continued to obey him. He, he didn't doubt the plan. He, he didn't falter from the plan. And, he, and he, he had this perspective that God is good. God is good. And what did God do? Well, he blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Ambrose, who's a church father, said this about verse 21. God punished so that we might fear and forgave so that we might be preserved. So there's this picture of judgment. And we can't get around it. We can't skirt it. We can't pretend like it's not there. So we serve a God who's good. But he's not tame. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. Sometimes we don't always understand what he does. But the truth is, is that he's got this perfect plan for us. So what did Noah do? Well, he worshiped. God said, hey, this is good. This was a good plan. You worshiped. And then he gave this command again, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So the plan is still here. It's still in place. And sometimes I think when we read this too, you know, we go like starting over is hard, 
or, or maybe you've just been challenged this year. You're like, you know what? Maybe I need to go back to church, or maybe I get involved more. Maybe I need to serve somewhere. Uh, maybe you're here today, and you, you're like, I've never really known that peace. I've never put my faith and trust in God and what he's done for me in sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross. What did he do? Jesus died on a piece of wood, like Noah put his family and all the animals in a big boat on a piece of wood, and it offered preservation then, and it was really pointing us to now when Jesus, what did he do? He died for us on the cross. And so I don't know, maybe today, maybe the Lord's been pressing on your heart lately, or maybe it's just a new year, and you're like, yeah, I need to... I need to get lose some weight, so I'm going to get on the treadmill, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some sort of resolution. What I would encourage you to do is if there's not some sort of spiritual component to that, please let there be a spiritual component to it. Uh, maybe make a new resolution, maybe one that involves, hey, if I'm going to start over, I'm going to start something new, I want to start it with God involved. I want to do something, something, remember, something positive is something that's going to stick. I'm going to take away something negative, or I don't want to do this, it probably won't work, but maybe something that involves a positive change for the Lord be a good thing, right? And in the light of all this, the ark door, it teaches a lot of things, doesn't it? That God judges. He's good, but he's not tame. God preserves us. He's brought us to this point for a reason. Like you're sitting here breathing for a reason, okay? And then God restores. He restores us. Anybody who's in here today who doesn't think that you can be, I'm too far away from God. Maybe you think you're never too far away. He's made a way for us to be close to him. And so if that's you, I'd love to talk to you today. You can stay afterwards. You can reach out to us online. Um, and in closing, I'll share just this brief story. We moved from Dallas-Fort Worth to New York three and a half years ago, and um, it was a big change. It was like a really, you know, it was, re- it was a difficult thing for us starting over, and, and it can be hard. It can be difficult, but the truth is that we, we haven't regretted that for one moment. It's like when we moved here, it was just like, man, this is, what, this is where God wants us to be. This is what he wants us to be doing And um, man, how God has blessed us since then, three and a half years later, um, just giving us this opportunity uh, to be here. Some people will say, why did you move from the country of Texas to New York? If you know anything about Texans, then that that makes sense to you. (laughs) Why did you move? And I said, well, if God said, do it, then that's what we got to do. And um, man, all the blessing. I I hope that you don't miss out on this new year. Um, Whatever God wants you to start out new or maybe just change or adjust, um, there's always time to do that. We're sitting here for a reason, and um, I want to encourage you with that. So the ark door is significant for us. Whatever door you walk in today or whatever doors open up for you spiritually, or maybe one that you just need to say, I need to open that one today. Uh, I'm praying for you that that would be the case. Uh, Maybe make a positive change for the new year, okay? Uh, Let me pray for you, and we'll close. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for this time. Um, Thank you that you love us, and uh, God, that uh, there's so many doors um, throughout history and the scriptures that we will learn from over the next several weeks. Uh, We just pray that during this time, we would see the doors that really matter in our lives, the ones that uh, maybe um, you've closed. Help us to not be disappointed when that happens. Um, God, that we might trust you uh, because you're good. Um, God, we're thankful that uh, you are in control. You're not tame. You have everything under control. Um, God, we, we only control our response to who you are and what you've done in our lives. Uh, we pray <clears throat> that as we understand this full counsel of your word, not that it would make us sad, but that it would give us hope um, that as you judge and as you preserve and as you restore even us now through what Jesus has done for us, um, that, that we would live in a way that would honor you, that we would have reverence for you, um, the one and only true holy God. We thank you <clears throat> that we've seen that um, even in... Uh, popular media and things this week, that when things get bad, 
many times the world does turn to you. Uh, we pray for those that are thinking and praying even now uh, things about you. We pray that you turn uh, the world's hearts to you and especially the people here in western New York. And it's your name we pray. Amen.